This is in the first half of our Bibles. The part that looks forward to the Christ who would come. And so we're reading from Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, and um, have we got the map, John? Can we have, James, could we have the map, please? Um, so we've got a map again, because Nehemiah, um, as this book begins, is in Babylon. This is the big empire of the day. Uh, Babylon uh, is uh, a bit like the America uh, of the 5th century before Christ. And uh, uh, Nehemiah is here in Susa, the capital city. He's there as uh, the uh, highest ranking official within the government and to the king. And uh, he is there because in the past, God's people uh, have been carried away to Babylon because of their sin. That was about 160 years earlier. And instead of his family returning uh, to uh, Jerusalem, this area, when they were uh, given their freedom 90 years earlier, his family stayed in Babylon. But now we see that this man in his generation... Whatever his friends were or were not, he is truly a man of God. And uh, we will see how some of his friends come from Jerusalem to tell him about the problems that the city's in. They travel to Babylon. It's a thousand miles. Imagine traveling a thousand miles. That shows something of the concern that these men had for the city of God, the church of God, and the people of God. So that's what we're reading today um, and thinking about today Nehemiah coming from Babylon coming to Jerusalem and helping the people there so Nehemiah uh, chapter 1 and we're reading on page 485 and we read verses 1 uh, from verse 1 of Nehemiah uh, chapter 1 the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, uh, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel, or the city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And then you turn to Nehemiah chapter 7, which is the passage we want to look at this morning. Page 490. Nehemiah chapter 7 and verse 1. In fact, we're going to read, uh, sorry, it should be chapter 6. We're going to read from verse 15. Because in chapter 1 through to 6, Nehemiah goes back to Babylon, as it goes back from Babylon to Jerusalem. He's involved in rebuilding the wall. Uh, and we read in verse 15 of chapter 6, page 490. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, in 52 days, 
when all our enemies heard about this, uh, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Arah, and his son, Johanahan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. After the wall had been rebuilt and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hananiah, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, make them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who'd been the first to return. This is what I found written there. And then from verse 6, right the way through to verse um, uh, 69, we have um, this record, which was 90 years earlier, when the first group had come back from Babylon under Ezra. With that Um, uh, brought in here uh, and then we read uh, verse 70 which is also part of that record some of the heads of the families contributed to the work the governor gave to the treasury 1000 drachmas of gold 50 bowls and 530 garments for priests some of the heads of the families gave to the treasury for the work 20,000 drachmas of gold and 200 and sorry 2,200 minus of silver. The total given by the rest of the people was 20,000 drachmas of gold, 2,000 minus of silver and 67 garments for priests. The priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers and the temple servants along with certain of the people and the rest of the Israelites Settled in their own times. Amen. Times into Nehemiah chapters 1 to 6. We did so for encouragement and challenge to note how the Lord used Nehemiah and his people to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem 
back in 445 BC in very challenging circumstances. Though the wall is finished by chapter 6 verse 15, as we have seen in our reading this morning, the book does not end there. The book has indeed a further seven chapters. In fact, two-thirds of the text of Nehemiah still is beyond the end of chapter 6. The time scale in the second half of the book is also much longer. Chapters 1 to 6 cover a period of 52 days, as we read earlier. Chapters 7 to 13 cover a period of more than 13 years. That begs the question, if the wall is rebuilt by the end of chapter 6, what is the purpose of the second half of Nehemiah? And why is it longer, much longer, and covering a longer period? Well, the focus in the first half of Nehemiah, chapters 1 to 6, is on the wall. The focus in the second half of Nehemiah, chapters 7 to 13, is on the people. It is on their spiritual well-being. It is on their reformation, their consolidation as the people of God. And significantly, it takes much longer to build a people of God than it does to build a city wall or a building like this. In Nehemiah chapter 1, the brothers who visited Nehemiah in Babylon reported not on one but two problems back in Jerusalem. It doesn't come out quite as clearly in the NIV. But in chapter 1 verse 3, uh, it notes first, the people or the survivors are in great distress and reproach. That's the greater problem. And then it says, the wall is also broken. That is the secondary and lesser problem. So there were two needs. And too often I think when we've approached Nehemiah, we've seen only one need. The lesser need is what we've focused on. And so there is the theme of the rebuilding of the wall, chapters 1 to 6. And there's the theme of the rebuilding of the people, chapters 7 to 13. And over the coming weeks, as we work our way through chapters 7 to 13, we want to see how, having completed this building, our priority now is the building of a people. It is to see a people of God developing, growing uh, in this place, expanding in this place, increasing ourselves and others. And that is a longer term work. Not done, I hasten to add, in a year.
But how does it happen? That's what Nehemiah chapter 7 begins with. How, uh, how is a people built? How is the church built? The first thing we want to see this morning is that it happens through godly leaders. The church is built. The church is rebuilt where she is in distress and reproach through godly leaders. We're looking here at the opening verses of the chapter 1 through to 3. The wall has been restored. The gates have been hung. The city of Jerusalem has not been as strong or secure for a long time. But more is needed than a wall and gates if people are to be brought out of reproach and distress. If the citizens are to be kept safe and to flourish in the city. A city needs leaders. A city wall needs guards. And so Nehemiah appoints men to oversee the city and to guard the city. In verse 2, the city itself is entrusted to Hanani. And the citadel, that is the temple area where God dwells and meets with his people, that part is entrusted to another man, Hananiah. But what kind of men are they? Hananiah is the man we read of in chapter 1. He travelled the thousand miles to Babylon, seeking Nehemiah's help originally. He was a man burdened, or he is a man burdened, for the honour of God. He's a man longing to see the church of God prosper in his day and generation and context and in his lifetime. In chapter 7 here, we are meeting Hananiah for the first time. And so Nehemiah records of him. He was a faithful man and feared God more than many. We saw there in our reading at the end of chapter 6 that there were many in Jerusalem who did not fear God. There were those who were allied uh, with um, Tobiah and the enemies of God outside of the city. And they were in a real sense a threat to the work within the city. But here is this man Hananiah. And he is a faithful man. He fears God more than many. You see for Nehemiah ability is not enough. Not enough that a man who would be in charge of the city is a good administrator or is gifted. Godliness is all important in a leader. And both city and temple need men who love the Lord. They need men who will do his will whatever the cost. 
Men who will oppose the evil that is within the city. Men who will safeguard the city from the threats outside. Men of proven courage. And so these men are appointed. And in verse 3 they're given their brief by Nehemiah. About the gates of Jerusalem. Uh, they uh, and, and the opening of these gates. And it, it may well be that this is with regard to the lunchtime siesta. That the gates um, were uh, uh, to not, they were to be shut during the midday siesta in order to ensure that um, no one got into the city when people were not watching. It's a dangerous time for the city. And so the city then, given the dangers, needs, uh, these men need to be reliable. They need to be efficient. They need to be obedient. They need to accept Nehemiah's assessment of the situation. They need to be willing to carry out his instructions of verse 3, since he is the governor, the one who ultimately under God is accountable. They need to be men who recognize the dangers the city still faces from without, from her enemies, and from within, from her citizens who have divided loyalties. And of course then, as they come to appoint others at the end of verse 3, to help them in this work, they need to be men of wisdom. Rebuilding the church or building the church for the first time through godly leaders. That has always been God's pattern. And it is still God's pattern today. And fellow elders, this is our calling. This is our calling amongst this people to fear God and to be faithful. To fear God more than many in our day and generation. Because sadly not every elder in the church of Christ today is a man who fears God. This church is Christ's church. He is the governor. He is the head. And as he spoke uh, to and through Paul to the elders at Ephesus, you and I, we're to be men who take heed to ourselves. Every day. We're to take heed to ourselves. We're to take heed to the flock. Acts chapter 20. And we ought often to um, find ourselves and to take ourselves to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That list of qualifications for the elder. We ought often to examine ourselves in the light of those things. We should be continually praying for those characteristics to be evident in our lives more and more. 
We should also find ourselves going to James chapter 3. That passage that talks about the difference between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And praying that passage into our lives so that like these men that Nehemiah appointed, that we are men of wisdom for the day that we live in. The dangers we face in the church. Dangers from without. But also we need to recognize that dangers can arise from within. As Paul warned in Acts 20. He talked about not only savage wolves that would come from outside. But he talked about those who could rise and would rise up from within the congregation. Leading others astray. And so you and I, we together, we are to watch that the cause of Christ is not harmed in this place. For the church is built through godly leaders. And you men who are deacons, the same applies to you. The same principles And there are those passages as well that speak of your character, that speak of your work and how you are to engage in that for the building of the church according to the word of Christ. And fellow members, it is your calling to pray for us that your elders, that your deacons, that all who are in leadership That we will be godly from the minister down through the elders, the deacons, through those, uh, to those who are involved in Sabbath school and Friday night club and any position of leadership. Because when the church loses godly leaders, she loses the gospel. Let's notice then, secondly, through uh, rebuilding the church, through Covenant members. Notice I don't use the word communicant members. And I'll come back to that at the end. Through covenant members. That's an unusual phrase to describe members as covenant members. But bear with me and you'll see in the passage what I mean and why I use this term. We come now to verse 5 in the chapter. Where Nehemiah records, then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. By the way, verse 4, I'm not ignoring. It actually takes us through to chapter 11. And it seems that what Nehemiah's concern was to populate the city. But the Lord said there's something more important before you bring people into the city. And it's more important that people are in the covenant of grace. And so he will come back to bringing people in there. And that's why the Lord lays it upon his heart. He says, Nehemiah, there's something I want you to do before you begin to populate this city. And it is this, that um, the people might be registered by genealogy. Or family tree. um, Or by families. 
Nehemiah is told to ensure that all dwelling in the city are indeed God's covenant people. That's what genealogy means here. It means that they belong to my covenant people. That all in the city are entitled to dwell there. We know from the wider setting uh, of Nehemiah that there were those who were not of God's covenant people. Who did dwell in the city and who should not dwell in the city. So what genealogy, what family tree is needed uh, to belong to God's city? Well the answer is they need to have a birth certificate that shows they are descended from Abraham. They need to have a birth certificate that shows they are descended from Abraham. Why Abraham? Why not Ishmael? Why not Esau? Why not Adam? Why not Noah? Well, the answer is because God, 1,500 years earlier than this time, established his covenant of grace with Abraham, promising, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, I will bless you. I will bless your family after you. I will bless all nations in the earth. Through you. And in Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. The Lord declared. I will establish my covenant. Between me and you. And your descendants. After you. So in Nehemiah's day. To belong to God's city. His generation. Needs to be descended. From Abraham. They need to stand within the covenant of grace. The covenant whereby God takes away sin and gives righteousness through faith in Christ. That is the covenant of grace. God takes away our sin and gives us righteousness because of Jesus Christ, the sinless life he lived And the sin-bearing death that he died. And so Nehemiah sources a register. From 90 years earlier. When the Jews returned from exile in Babylon under Ezra. And he uses that as the baseline. Against which every individual who is going to dwell in the city. Has to prove. That they tie in to the family of Abraham. That they stand in the covenant of grace. That they are indeed God's covenanted people. But this is not merely a matter of belonging to Abraham's bloodline. They must share Abraham's faith. Galatians chapter 3 verse 6. I think that was up as a reading this morning and I forgot to read it. Uh, But read it when you go home. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6. Only those who are of faith 
are sons of Abraham. That was true back then in Nehemiah's day. As it is true in our day. Only those who are of faith in Christ are sons of Abraham. And Abraham's faith was a faith that looked forward to the Christ who would come and crush the serpent and redeem his people. Even as your faith is to be a faith that looks back to the Christ who has come and who has crushed the head of the serpent and redeemed his people from their sin. And so the church is rebuilt. Nehemiah is told, yes, through godly leaders, but secondly, through covenant members. And so this morning, as we sit here in church, the question comes to each one of us, on what basis am I a member of the church? It cannot be on the grounds of blood connections only. That my family has belonged to the church. I was born in the church. I was baptized in the church. I took communion in the church. No, there's no mention of that. The only basis that you and I can be members of the church is through the covenant of grace. It's not by baptism. It's not by taking communion. It's only through Abraham's seed, the Christ, who lived and died and rose again to save us from our sin. It's only by trusting in him that a person, young, middle-aged or old, can belong to the church. And so Nehemiah is shown here, yes, The Lord is saying, I'm going to rebuild my church. But Nehemiah, I can only do so through covenanted or covenant members. Those within the covenant of grace. And that's vital for us to realize. Not only for ourselves. And the importance of every day, you and I living by Grace through faith. But also it's important as we reach out into our community. Yes, we want to see people coming in. We want to bring people in. And to come into our worship services. To come into the outreach activities. To come into the Bible study. To come into any activity of the church. And we want them to become Members, the basis upon which they will be able to do so is when they come into the covenant of grace, when they come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so our prayer has to be for all those people that we've contact with and that we're working with and everyone that crosses our door. That they will become covenant members. Uh, And so that Christ will build his church. Not only with us. 
but with others. Let's notice then thirdly this morning. Christ builds his church. And the church will be rebuilt in Nehemiah's day. Through generous givers. And we come now to the end of the chapter. Uh, and uh, verses 70 to 73. And these also are a direct quotation from Ezra chapter 2. In one sense they seem out of place in Nehemiah chapter 7. Because what have they to do with establishing who are the members and who should live in Jerusalem? And so some might say, well, they're just tagged on at the end here and they have no obvious connection with what has gone before. Is this a sloppy piece of work on the part of Nehemiah where he has read too far and recorded too much of of Ezra chapter 2? What are we to make of these verses? What relevance have they to the people then and to us now? Well, you and I, I trust our people whose conviction is that all scripture is given by God. And so the fact that these three verses, or four verses, are recorded here again, it's not an accident. It's not a mistake on Nehemiah's part. This is part of the superintending work of the Holy Spirit of God. And he wants Nehemiah's generation, as he wants our generation, to see the challenge of these verses. And there is no difficulty and seeing the theme and the relevance, these verses are about giving. They're about giving. Giving to God's work. The verb occurs four times in three verses. And I trust you've been here long enough to realize that when something As I've said before, when something is repeated again and again in Scripture, it's because that is the point the Lord is making. Just in the same way as you as a parent. When you repeat something again and again to your child, it's the point you are making to your child. And you want them to grasp. And so the Lord wants Nehemiah to realize, yes, I'm going to build my church And godly leaders are important, Nehemiah. And I am glad that you've given attention to that. And covenant members are important, Nehemiah. And I'm glad you've done that. But also, generous givers are important. In the work of the church. And this verb that occurs four times, it's used of the governor. And if you read Nehemiah... You'll see that Nehemiah in his day, he was a generous giver. He didn't even take the governor's allowance. He supported himself. But it's also used of leaders. And it's used of the rank and file members. And again, bear in mind what we saw at the end of chapter 6 in our reading about some of the nobles. 
And they are anything but generous and committed to the Lord's work. Indeed, they are more aligned with the Lord's enemies. And the Lord is saying to them, if you're going to belong to my people, you have got to be a generous giver. And then the rank and file members, they're also those who give. And so we learn uh, here that all give, all give, not the same amount. Some had more and gave more. But all give, and all gave back in Ezra's day, and all are to give in Nehemiah's day and our day out of gratitude. Out of gratitude in Ezra's day for the return from Babylon. Out of gratitude in Nehemiah's day for the rebuilt wall. They're to give joyfully. They're to give freely. Um, No one asked them or told them to give. The Lord builds his church. He rebuilds his church through generous givers. Or generous giving. And we are to give to the Lord's work. All of us. All of us. Leaders and people. Young and old. Right down to you boys and girls. You too. Should get into the habit. To give from what you have. It will not be very much. But give to the Lord's work. The better off are to give and the not so well off are to give. And do we not have an even greater incentive to give than those in Ezra's day returned from Babylon? Than those in Nehemiah's day seeing a rebuilt wall? For we live not in the era of the Old Testament when Nehemiah and Ezra and Abraham saw salvation from a distance. We live in the last days when we see salvation close up. Close up. Because God has sent his only begotten son. God gave him. He gave him. Christ gave himself on the cross for us. And Paul describes uh, Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter, I think it's in the end of chapter 9, as God's indescribable gift. The generous giving of God. What did I deserve? What did you deserve? We deserved hell. We deserve the everlasting, enduring wrath of God for our sin. Our sin in Adam and with Adam in the garden. And the sin that we have committed as those fallen in Adam. But what has God done with us? He has reached down into our lives. He has taken us out of the fearful pit and out of the miry clay. And he's established our feet upon Christ. And we live in that era when salvation is close up. 
And salvation is for all the nations in Christ. And then in the completion of this building, as a centre of witness and worship, we have another reason to give. Out of gratitude and joyfully and freely and sacrificially, not just giving our money, but giving our time to the witness of our congregation. Using our gifts for the extension of God's kingdom in this town, in this area, serving together. Are we doing that? Or do we have to be asked to give generously? Do we have to be cajoled to give our means and our very selves to the work of the Lord today? Rebuilding or building the church because our lives, to whatever degree, are in distress and reproach. We live in a fallen world. We suffer distress. We face reproach. And our lives need to be built. And how are they going to be built? And how is the church going to be built? Through godly leaders. Through covenant members. Through generous givers. May we be more and more a church that is being built through these things. And as Christ said, according to your faith, it will be unto you and unto me. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for so great salvation. We thank you that Abraham and Nehemiah and Ezra and the people of God in the Old Testament saw the day of Christ afar off. But now we see the day of Christ close at hand. For we live in the last days. The period between his first coming and his second coming. When Christ is to be known by the nations of the earth. And so we worship you today for him. And we bless you for him. And we know that all your blessings come only through him. These men who were godly leaders. They were godly because Christ had saved them. And changed them. And Nehemiah was the man that he was because... You had changed him and saved him in Babylon. Lord God, we thank you for how you used these men. And Nehemiah in particular. We pray that you would use our elders. And to help us to be the godly men that you want us to be. Faithful and God-fearing. Watching both the church for danger from without and danger from within. We pray, Lord God, that you would give us Members who rejoice, that we would be members who rejoice in the covenant of grace. That we are here by grace, not by our works. 
not by sacraments, not by family tradition or heritage. And Lord, we pray that we would show that we love you by our giving, both financially and practically, and in terms of service and witness as the church. Lord, enrich us and build us up. Extend your church through us, we do pray you. Make us a light for you in this dark community. And Lord, to that end, we pray for the outreach event this Saturday. We pray for our participation in that, alongside those who are involved in organizing that and participating in that with their stoles. We pray, Lord God, that you would um, enable us to pray day by day for this outreach and help us, Lord, then to be available to engage with people and to have conversation with people who come in. We pray that you would bring people in uh, on uh, Saturday. And we ask, Lord, that many would be challenged by you uh, through uh, our presence here and that we might be instruments uh, in your hand, uh, messengers of your gospel. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.